You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three. But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU Sports Broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. Basketball, soccer, and football feature prominently in this episode. Let's start with the football Cougars. We're halfway through the season, so BYU Broadcasting's Jason Shepard, Dave Phillips Jr., and I discuss the story of this season and what we can expect as the season progresses. I'll go first, and then I'll go with you guys uh, right after that. Uh, my my storyline is, hey, the second half of the season is going to be better than the first half, right? Because that's what it feels like right now in BYU football games. They're second halves. They're doing really well, but they're not playing well in the first half. And it really goes back to, you could even go back to the Baylor game and say that. It, the BYU has just consistently played better in the second half of games than I, than in the first half of games. And it was evident in the Notre Dame game. It's, it's amazing to me how much better this team is after halftime. I think that's a credit to the coaches and players, but I wish they could figure it out sooner. So... So far, that's been the storyline for me in the first half of the season for BYU football. Jason, what do you think? You know, I, I think the first half of the year, any year, the storyline is kind of, how did, how did it play out based off of what you thought going into the year? All of the things that you thought you knew about the team, were you correct? Were you right? Or has it turned out a little different? And I, I think I still probably go back to the the schedule that BYU had this year. The four games that were always going to determine what type of season it was for BYU, you know, we're, we're getting close to the last one. And you had the Baylor game, you had the Oregon game, Notre Dame, and now Arkansas. We know how the first three have played out. Now we're still waiting for the result of Arkansas. But I, 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 that, that storyline hasn't changed because we're still waiting to find out. Things went really well for BYU against Baylor. Did not go so well in the game at Eugene against the Oregon Ducks, and obviously, you know, a loss in Vegas to to Notre Dame. So I think the storyline is how are BYU, how's BYU going to fare ultimately when we get through those four big matchups? Because that really then sets the table for what really is left for the rest of the season in terms of what you're playing for. Obviously, bowl eligibility will always be there, but what type of opportunities are still there for you once you get past the Arkansas game? Dave, I think one of them is just injuries. I think it's been amazing to see this last game was the first time that you had Puka and Gunner on the field together and that it didn't last the full game. <laughs> so it's it's interesting that there's a lot of defensive players missing. There's a lot of offensive players that are inconsistent on who's in there. Miles Davis has a massive game. Then he's gone for a couple weeks. Chase Roberts emerges. And then he's gone for a couple weeks. So it, it feels like they can't get in this rhythm because of injuries and and what and so who is this BYU team when they're at full strength? I think is the interesting thing. And like Jason said, the schedule lightens up a ton after we get past Arkansas. So are we gonna start to see a really, really good BYU team that finishes strong? And the schedule sets up for that. If you got guys coming back from injury. And coming up and finishing strong, that can help with your bowl placement. It's how you finish. Look at some of the teams. Utah State, not very good in the beginning of the year last year, finished strong, won the Mountain West Conference. Utah, the same thing. This is a team BYU beat handedly. 
and then they go on to the Rose Bowl. So it's how you finish. And so I think if BYU can stay healthy, one more tough game, and then they can run through in the second half of the season is just that momentum leading to a big bowl game, hopefully. So what will the story of the second half of the season be? Uh, Junior, we're going to start with you. I think I think it's just BYU rolling. I think that they go through and they start to put it all together, and they start to play teams where you can make some mistakes and just keep going. And I think that momentum is going to build leading into the Big 12. I really think this is the year BYU doesn't have a bowl tie-in. You go on a six-game winning streak to end the season. You're going to be bound for a pretty decent bowl, and I'm excited for that. Yeah, it's really going to be how this team finishes because once you get past Arkansas, as we've mentioned, look, not, not that any game is going to be easy, but this, the schedule certainly lightens up. You still have to go to Boise, and that's just a, a, it's a hard place to play. So that's still on the schedule. You still have trips to Liberty and, and, you know, and places like that. But, you know, there's an opportunity for BYU to get on a roll to end the year. And look, it is a big deal how BYU finishes its final season as an independent. You really want to set the tone for what this is. This program is going to continue to look like as it makes its way into the Big 12 next year. I think identity is my storyline for the second half of the season. I think this team kind of finds their identity. The offense will balance. The defense will get off the field quickly, at least quicker than they have been in some of those games. The kicking game will go back to normal. That doesn't mean BYU is going to necessarily win out. I'm not sitting here predicting that, but I'm going to say they're going to find their identity and we're going to notice it. It just means that they're going to stick to that. And by the way, is diversity identity, I, I think we've seen that a little bit this year, meaning when BYU played Baylor and they had a hard time with the rushing attack, we noticed that um, in that game, and then the, some of the subsequent games when they had a hard time with the rushing attack, they went to the passing attack because they're like, well, this is working right now. But eventually the rushing attack is kind of finding its way back, but it feels like to me that their identity is still pass first, maybe rush second. I, I think that they're going to kind of hopefully stick with that white, but also trying to get that identity of we do need that rushing attack because we can't just throw Jaron Hall out there and have him throw 50, 60 times a game. We had a uh, discussion on BYU Sports Nation a week or so ago, and you know the, the question was, can, can, B, can BYU, I'm trying to remember the exact phrasing that we use, but essentially is, is Jaron Hall's arm enough to carry the BYU offense? And overall, it really has been. Certainly, you'd need to get much more consistency out of the ground game, but but Jaron Hall's arm has proven to be so important for this team. And look, and I said this, I've said this a couple of times, the fact that BYU has the record that it does, putting up some of the numbers that they are, and they've not asked Jaron Hall to really use his legs very much. I think that's been huge. Number one, because he's able to showcase his arm, and we know this is a guy that's going to play on the next level. The other part is you're not opening him up for more opportunities to get hurt by running the ball. So I think that's been a big positive for this team. No, and, and I think we're, we're kind of downplaying, and I think we kind of forget the huge loss that Tyler Algier was. The mistakes or the the things that he made up for just in talent. And the running style with Chris Brooks is probably different than anything he's ever done. Zone, where he's cutting back, it takes a little bit to get used to. And we've seen in the last couple games that Chris Brooks is starting to get it. Miles, Miles Davis got it in yeah. that one. And then it, it was like a light flipped off in Chris Brooks' head of how to cut back. 
And we're starting to see that. So I think we'll see a lot more running. Uh, Jaron Hall has eclipsed his numbers from last year in the first six games. But I think a lot of that has to do with not having the Tyler Algier. So I think we're going to see a lot more run in the second half just because Chris Books, it's kind of clicked of how to run in this scheme. When we talk about the co-authors of this story for the second half of the season, is Jaron Hall at the top of the list for you guys? Absolutely. Yeah, he 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 has been to this point, and I, I don't see that changing in the second half. Who are the other co-authors for the second half of this season, you guys? Jason, we'll start with you. Oh wow. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna say the defensive line. You know, it, it was it was a question mark coming into the year. Um and and right now it's you know, they're the inability to slow down the opposition's run. Um at the point of attack, you know, is his has caused some some issues. So I, I would say the defensive line is is going to determine a lot of what happens in the second half. Right, Dave. I'd probably have to go the linebackers. Kind of the same thing. I think obviously they they work in tandem to stop the run. Um, BYU strength on defense is arguably the linebackers. I know the secondary has been really good, but they without Malik Moore, that's a hit. Not. A death blow, but it's it's a big hit. Um, but I think the linebackers filling in those run gaps and stopping, but also in the pass protection, we've seen Max Tooley with a couple pick sixes. I think that the linebackers are going to really need to kind of fill those holes. Dude, the other yes. guy I was thinking of was actually Micah Harper. I think it's been fun to see him kind of step into the starting role the past few weeks. I think the more playing time he gets, I think we're going to see some good things uh, from him coming up. And there might be some growing pains, too. I mean, that's that's just what it's like when you're a freshman and you're you're just starting out. Look, so. I think the BYU secondary, the corners, safeties, I think overall, they've played really well this season. I, I mean, look, there's always room for improvement everywhere. Jaron Hall will tell you there's room for, for his own improvement. But overall, I, I've been pretty impressed with what... With the, with the development that we've seen in the Cougar secondary. A big thanks to those two guys. Now coming up next, Nani Falatea says she learned a lot from the star guards who played BYU women's basketball, and now she has the job of trying to replace them. Plus, what it takes to make the perfect long snap. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. The BYU women's basketball season begins at the end of this month with an exhibition game against Westminster. Guard Nani Falatea will most likely be in the starting lineup. She averaged 11 minutes a game playing behind a trio of star guards in Shaley Gonzalez, Tegan Graham, and Paisley Harding. Those three are now gone, and so is the coach that recruited her, Jeff Judkins. Uh, I was sad. You know, he's a great guy, and he was a great coach, and, you know, he's the person that got me here to BYU, and I absolutely love it here, so... Of course, it was sad. It was a little bit upsetting just because, you know, I was looking forward to being coached by him for all four years, but whatever's best for him and his family. So, Any thoughts at all about maybe I should go look for somewhere else just because, you know, you get used to the coach and what they do and things like that, and there are plenty of other options to go, or did you think, eh, let's let's see how this plays out here first? Yeah, um, of course, I think when it all first happened, there was a lot going on in my mind. Like, I just wasn't sure because, you know, no idea who's going to be coming in to replace Jetty and uh, um, but ultimately you know I decided you know I feel like BYU is the place I want to be and whoever's going to come in I trust the admin so give it a shot. What was it like when coach Whiting first contacted you to talk to you? Um, it's kind of wild because I've known her 
um, for a pretty long time since we were younger. I kind of played with and against her club team, so I've always known her. So it was kind of like so interesting. It was more like catching up than anything else. So. How are Coach Judkins and Coach Whiting's styles different? Um, I'd probably just say how intense Amber is compared to Judy, you know, um, especially with how the team was last year. Um, like we had five super seniors that could, that, you know, they've been in college for five years. They've been, they know what to do. They know what it's all about. And um, so I feel like a lot of times, like things just rested on the seniors because they already knew and like Judy had already coached them up and done everything that he could for them. Whereas, you know, with Amber, like it's a brand new team with brand new girls. So it's very different. She said many times she likes defense. Yes, she does. <laughs> yes, she does. How, how? What's practice been like when it comes to defense? Intense, always. Intensity is always, always, always high when it comes to defense. That's when the energy is the most in the gym. Okay. Um, have you perfected your defensive stance then? I don't think I don't think I have yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> you just mentioned seniors who left the team. You know, mm-hmm. Paisley Harding, Tegan Graham. They graduate. Shelly Gonzalez graduates and uh, decides to transfer down to Texas. Is this your time to shine? Because I think all of them played <laughs> your similar position, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's them being gone now has opened up a lot of opportunity for all of us, especially me and some of the other freshmen my age or freshmen last year. Um, so I'm just excited to see, you know, what we can do with the opportunity that we're given. You had to know this was coming. You knew these these uh, these teammates, they were going to graduate and they were going to move on. You had to know this was coming. So how did you prepare yourself for that, both physically and mentally? Um, last year, I think I just tried to take in as much as I could um, because, you know, those leadership roles were already filled. Um, so it was, I think it was a really good opportunity for me to just sit back and learn. Um, which I think I learned so much from, you know, Maria Pays, Tegan, all of them. I learned so much from them. So, What, what did you learn from them? Um, just I feel like how to be a good teammate and how to cultivate a good culture, a winning culture, and how to hold each other accountable but also be uplifting. I feel like that's one of the most important things that I learned last year. What is it that you worked on in the off season that you wanted to get better at for this season? Like my skill set? Mm-hmm. Um, probably finishing. That's something that... At the rim? Yeah, at the rim, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's kind of been a struggle. Like, I've always been more of a shooter than anything else, so I think I've been wanting to add a little bit more to my game with that part, so... Both hands? Finishing with both hands? (laughs) Definitely both hands. (laughs) How's it gone so far? I mean, how's it translated so far into practice, too? It's been pretty good so far. You know, we, we do a lot of skill work, which I think has been really helpful. Who are some of the other, you, you talked about how you're going to be able to fill in on these, you know, for, for these seniors who've graduated. Who are some of the other guards that are, are going to be able to fill in too? Um, Kaylee Smiler, for sure. She's a great leader. You know, she leads by example every day. She's one of the hardest working players that I've ever played with. Um, and I think Ari Mackie Williams, you know, she's a great person. She's a great player, and I'm just excited to play with her. You... Um you have a sister who plays for mm-hmm. Westminster, is that correct? Yeah. Yep. And her name's Ray, is that right? Yeah. Did you get some workouts in with her this summer? Yeah, we work out together all the time, um, especially growing up. Like, she's the reason that I am who I am, That because, like, it's all because of her. She's pushed me more than anybody else. Like, I, like, I tell people all the time, like, there's nobody in the world, does not matter how good they are, how athletic they are, whatever, there's nobody in the world that's going to make me better more than my sister will, so... 
So we work out together all the time. What's it like playing against her? I mean, there's the sister aspect of it, but there's also the competitive aspect of it. I mean, I don't know. Whenever I play against relatives, it always gets really heated. Um, But we still love each other in the end. So what's it like playing with your sister? It's it's bittersweet. I love you know being being able to be back on the court with her is so much fun. you know, it's just so different from we've always been on the same team. So then last year and then this year again playing against her, it's just it's more funny to me because it's like this is just so weird. Like we're both playing at the college level against each other. Like it's it's fun. What's it going to be like when you play against Winspister? Are, are, are you going to tell the coach, I really want to guard my sister? I don't know. Me and her were talking about it the other day. Like, I don't know if I really want to guard her. I really don't want to guard her. Like, so it might just turn into a one-on-one and everybody else is going to be watching us. <laughs> what are your one-on-ones like? Intense, heated. <laughs> Thanks to Nani Falatea. From basketball to soccer, Ellie Mon says she chose to wear number 11 because it's her mother's lucky number. The midfielder and her teammates had more than luck on their side in last season's run to the College Cup. So far this season, it's not been as magical. Mon has started the majority of the matches, which is part of the different experience she's having in 2022. I think, obviously we lost a couple really good players, but just... Having to step up in, into bigger roles has been the biggest difference for sure for me. Um, but obviously our team culture has changed a lot and honestly it's just gotten better. We are just all excited to go out there and play and I think if we can keep that excitement going into our next games we will be super successful. So, It's kind of been a roller coaster in some ways this season. Uh, and, and as you mentioned there are some players that, that you lost but it's kind of been a little bit of a roller coaster. You have some highs where you score lots of goals and you get wins, but there's been times when also you've given up some late goals and some matches. What's how's that been on you and on the team? Um, I think we're we're finally starting to settle into our identity a little bit more towards the middle of the season. But yeah, at the beginning we have struggled a little bit. Um, I think we've t- we've talked a lot about being more accountable and assertive on the field, and I think it's really just it's a lot about leadership on the field and I think we're starting to find that leadership and so I think going into the f- next few games of the season is re- it's really going to start to show on the field. Did you think that you were kind of on the upswing? I mean you finally got your first goal two matches ago you win six to nothing over San Francisco and then last week you you know you have a 1-1 tie versus Pacific was it kind of like huh what what happened there? Yeah we obviously we went out and we played really well in the first half of Pacific and I just think we need to figure out how to finish some games and yeah obviously we were a little disappointed in the result against Pacific but we're just trying to look at the next game I think keeping our heads high and move and focused on moving forward is what's going to be best for us so what is that thing is is it just a mental mindset then that you need to have say talking about moving forward but also again not giving up late like goals in matches yeah I think it just goes back to being accountable and assertive on the field I mean we need to learn how to finish out games and that's what it comes down to it's a full 90 minutes we need to play and we've done a really good job of playing 90 or 85 of those minutes (laughs) you know I mean look at Pacific we really dominated in the stats and yet we let a goal in you know it's we just need to really focus the full 90 minutes and I think that's what we were working on in practice today is uh we were up a couple goals and we were just game management I think that's what we've been focusing on a lot in practice and I think it's going to start to show what does that look like I mean I'm not asking you to reveal anything but what does game management look like when when you guys are leading a lot of awareness, um, where you're at on the field, when to keep the ball, when to take shots. I mean, 
really just knowing where you're at on the field and not losing the ball in places you shouldn't be, clearing the ball, not making dumb mistakes. I mean, no one ever is purposely making a mistake, which is hard. But, yeah, just being more aware on the field. You talked about identity, that you're finding your identity. What is that identity right now? You know, our identity right now is we're out there and we're going to score goals. We're goal scorers, we're we're first shooters, and then we look to pass. I think that's what we've really been focusing on. And so, it's once again, it's going to show in these games that are coming. So, I'm super excited (laughs) for this team. We have a lot in us, and I feel like we are just waiting to have that breakthrough. And so, it's coming. Well, and it's interesting because last season you had four losses going into the going into the college ship. Right now you only have two, but you have five ties in there also. It's not like you your team is like out of anything. You're you're still really competitive right now. Yeah, I mean, I think not. You know how they changed the rule where we don't have overtime anymore. That's changed the game a lot for us. We I mean, if you look at all the stats, we almost score goals in the last couple of minutes of the game, even when we're tied. And so those, all those ties really should be wins in most cases. But, yeah, we're just looking to go forward. So, What gives you hope in these last six matches of the season? You know, we still have control over every everything. We can still make it to the tournament. And I know we have a lot of grit. And I know every single one of our, um, the players on this team. And we all want it so much. And that's what gives me the most hope is I know. And each person on the team individually. Thanks to Ellie Mon. In football, you never pay attention to the long snapper unless there is a problem. I wanted to find out what it takes to have a perfect long snapper, at least as close to perfect as you can get game in and game out. So I spoke with BYU long snappers Austin Riggs and Britton Hogan about their specialty. Let's start with Britton on his technique. The main part is if whatever your dominant hand is, your right or your left hand, um, you're gripping it like a regular football, like you're going to throw the ball. And your left hand's more your guide hand, so it's kind of like a basketball shot where your right hand's doing a lot of the work. But your left hand's kind of keeping that balance. Um, the left hand will kind of go on the back of the ball like this, and I put my middle finger within the seam, and you want both sides of your hands to be pretty balanced and even. So when you're following through, it's just a nice fluid flick of the wrist, and it's coming right through. Um, I mean, just with your hands in general, you could do a whole episode on how how you talk about that because it goes with hands and you got to focus on how your hips your core is following through and then the way where your hands are going when you go through your legs and then following through make sure your legs and your hips are extending all the way through there's a lot to it it's like a golf swing it's it takes a while to perfect once you get it down it's honestly pretty simple austin says it all comes down to consistency you want to be able to snap it somewhere on their hip on the punter's hip so it's 15 yards from the ball point so the ball's laid down 15 yards back. Uh, Ryan Rico, my punter, stands right there. And I need to snap that right on his right hip. That is the perfect snap you can have. Great spiral, great speed. So we always joke, if you can do the exact same motion every single time, that ball is perfect. How many times do you snap a ball in practice? So realistically, I probably snap between 75 to 120 balls. Depending on how many Ryan Rico wants to punt, uh, we snap a lot of balls every day. In a game, let's, let's say you had four punts in a game. When you walk out of a game, if you had four punts and you're, you're snapping it back four different times, how many of those do you, do you walk out and say, yep, that was perfect, or that was like at least 97% or something like that? Um, I guess before each snap, you got to know that you're going to snap a money ball. That ball is coming straight back right on Ryan's hip. 
Um, realistically, you're going to have about an 85 to 90 percent uh, comfortable rate, I guess. Let's see. Yeah, like I'm going to be very confident at the end of the day with where my snaps were. The unique thing about being a long snapper is the pressure that you snap under. Uh, I always joke around with some of my family friends and family members at parties and uh, they'll be out there snapping. Oh, this is easy. You know, I could snap this. <laughs> well, when you're in front of 75 to 100,000 people uh, down below the lights, it's a little different. And so making sure that when you're snapping, your eyes are right on Ryan's hips. You're making sure that that ball is coming straight back. Uh, and that's what determines a good long snapper from the best is making sure that you can snap the best ball under the highest pressure. I then asked Britton the difference between a short snap for a field goal and a long snap for a punt. They're honestly pretty similar. Um, I'd say the biggest difference in long snaps, they are 14 to 15 yards depending upon your team. And a lot of that is speed, but also just accuracy. Um, it's the same motion and everything that it is a short snap. Um, punt snaps, you're more focused on getting it to the punter's right hip, making sure it's getting in there in decent time. Most teams won about 0.6 to 0.7 seconds between when my, the ball leaves my hands until it hits Ryan's hands. So it's a pretty quick snap. And then short snaps are essentially the same thing. I don't use as much lower body. It's pretty much all upper body. I'm just trying to make sure I get the laces correct on the short snaps. That's probably the biggest thing. Uh, kickers hate when they kick the laces, so that's up to us um, to get the laces straight out. So I practice that honestly all the time. Make sure my, the way I'm gripping the ball, the way I'm following through, make sure the same rotation on the ball each time so we're getting the laces forward. Which snap do these guys prefer? Let's go with Britain first and then Austin. I prefer short snaps, honestly. And honestly, they're both pretty easy, but short snaps are probably a little less mentally stressing because they are closer, so you're not as worried about it. Punt snaps, you're looking through your legs 15 yards and you have the bleachers behind you, so it can it looks like it's a pretty big distance. So that takes, that takes some mental toughness. I think they're both pretty difficult snaps. Uh, you obviously need to make sure that you're perfect on both. I think punt snaps are the funnest because I get to snap it as hard as I can right to Ryan's hip. It's 15 yards. Ryan's gotten used to my speed and the accuracy on it, which is very nice. Uh, and then I actually, I'll snap the ball. Uh, Coach Ed, uh, Ed Lamb, he actually trusts me enough to block and then cover down the field. So every snap I'm running another 50 to 60 yards. <laughs> which doesn't happen a lot unless you have a fantastic punter like Ryan. And so I get a chance to go tackle the, the punt returner. That's my favorite part. Finally, how far can they deep snap a ball? I honestly probably could go 30, 35 yards. I, uh, honestly, it's, it's fun to snap that far because it t- kind of teaches you just to use your body and get it as far as possible. So when you get back to 15 yards, it's, that's, that's nothing. Okay, so this one, it's kind of funny. You actually, the key is speed and accuracy for long snaps. And I actually, I don't even try to snap it that far. (laughs) I guess it's a good thing because if I can snap it 40, 50 yards, it's not a good thing. Um, I would say I could probably snap it 35, 40 yards. Surprisingly, Ryan Rico has the record for the longest snap. Really? How how far has he snapped it? He probably snaps it 45 to 50 yards. It's unreal. Like, it it is actually (laughs) mind-boggling. That's going to do it for Behind the Mic. Make sure you subscribe to the Behind the Mic podcast for this show and other interviews with BYU athletes. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.